men and women who have served as servicemen and women in the United States military and have given their lives in combat are people who are living someone else's dream and vision. And that is precisely a key to living effectively for Jesus Christ. Uh, I was, um, uh, that, uh, that reminded me of a time when I was 12 years old. I had the opportunity to sail on the USS Coral Sea uh, aircraft carrier from Pearl Harbor, Hawaii to San Francisco with my father when I was just 12 years old. Uh, there was a program that uh, the Navy allowed uh, for male relatives of those on board the ship, and we met him in Pearl Harbor, my grandfather and I did, and we sailed with him uh, from Pearl Harbor to San Francisco, and it took us a week to get there. It was one of the most fascinating things anyone could ever do. Uh, it's one of the highest points even in my life, but the last day was really neat. We got to see jets take off the deck of the aircraft carrier, uh, and it was amazing. Now, I knew they did this. I was aware of this. I had seen still photos of jets taking off the deck of an aircraft carrier, and if you don't have a conception of that, you need to know that our lower parking lot on the west side is larger than the deck of an aircraft carrier. In fact, I, I'm so impressed with this, I want to show you a video. Take a look. How many of you want to be a Navy pilot now? <laughs> I do. I got the notion uh, when I was in high school that uh, that was the career direction I was going to go. And then God called me to ministry a week later, and the whole world is a lot happier with that. You don't want me having control over a plane like that and, and the cannons that go with it. But uh, it's fascinating. Now, did you see how abruptly some of those planes landed? Uh, that's a lot more abrupt than the Air Force pilots land. They have these big long runways where they can land. Uh, the naval pilots have a posted stamp they've got to land on. And so when they land, they're a lot more abrupt. And you have felt this whenever you have been flying commercially. Uh, if you've had a smooth landing at an airport, 
that was probably a plane piloted by an Air Force pilot. If your plane, if your plane felt like it slammed against the runway when you landed commercially, that was a naval pilot. And every time Sherry, Michelle, and I fly, we land and we look at each other, and if it's a smooth landing, we say Air Force. If the plane slams against the runway, we say Navy. In fact, um, sometimes when I get off a plane and it's a naval pilot that has slammed the plane against the runway, I'll walk out and I'll look at him and say, did we land or were we shot down? Uh, that, that's oftentimes how it can feel. Um, the truth is, is that uh, with this, you have to understand, um, these things have happened because someone listened to someone else's dream and even caused them to delay. Can you imagine the first conversation back in 1920 when someone suggested we can land a plane on top of a ship? How did that conversation go? I mean, some fella shows up in glasses and with a pocket protector, short sleeve shirt and a tie, and says, I've got some calculations here, and I really believe you can land a plane on top of a ship. Can you imagine the first response to that? You have lost your mind. Can you imagine how when military brass was the, uh, first heard of this, what was that conversation like? Landing a plane on top of a ship. Well, how would you do that? Well, you would make the deck of the ship flat. Well, we've never heard of that before. Why in the world do you have to change the deck of a ship? Aren't the ones we've got good enough? Well, no, not to land a plane on. You'll kill somebody. Somebody had to listen to someone else's dream to make this a reality. And because someone else listened to a dream that wasn't their own, and they implemented it, the United States now has the most powerful navy in the history of navies, and there is no comparison. There isn't. Folks are always trying to keep up with us. You know, Joseph could say much the same in Genesis chapter 40 and 41, what we have in our text today. Um, in Genesis chapter 37 and Genesis chapter 40 and 41, we have a series of dreams in the text is what we have. In Genesis 37, we have Joseph's dream, the dream of Joseph where he dreamed uh, had two dreams that emphasized the promise from God that he would rule over his family, the sun, the moon, and the stars, so to speak. And Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods were sun, moon, and stars. I don't know if Joseph realized that then, but that is what God said. One day you're going to rule uh, over your family and over these great large entities. Well, what happened immediately afterwards did not confirm that dream. Everything nailed down came loose in Joseph's life. He was sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and put into prison. It doesn't look like his dream is going to come about in Genesis 37, 38, and 39. In chapter 40, Joseph is languishing in prison, and there is a cupbearer or butler, and there is a baker, two men there that have gotten in trouble with Pharaoh, and he's thrown them in jail. And Joseph is there with him. Now, Joseph's ruling the jail, but that's hardly the sun, moon, and stars. But Joseph is ruling the jail there in the text, and these two fellows have dreams themselves. These dreams with Joseph come in twos in his stories. 
And one dreams, one dream, one dreams the other. Joseph interprets them, and the dreams come true. Well, the butler has been promoted and let out of jail. He goes back into the service of Pharaoh in chapter number 40. In chapter 41, the butler or the cupbearer is near Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has two dreams, and he cannot interpret them. No one else can. And so the butler, after two years of uh, memory lapse, remembers Joseph and says, I knew a fella in the local lockup who might be able to help you. And Pharaoh calls him in. Joseph cleans up. He comes in. He interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. And look at what happens at the end of chapter 41, beginning in verse number 42. Joseph's interpreted the dream, essentially seven years of plenty for Egypt, then seven years of famine. Let's go ahead and stock up now so we'll be prepared then. And look what Pharaoh does in verse number 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. We start with the dreams uh, that Joseph had of ruling uh, over his family and over the sun, moon, and stars. There is no way that someone in the local lockup is ever going to fulfill these dreams. But God gives more dreams. And by the end of chapter 42, what Joseph dreamed in chapter 37 comes true through someone else's vision and dream. That is what happened in the life and the ministry and service of Joseph here in this text. Now I want us to examine the story. Let's look at the story, then let's look at the significance of it towards the end. The, the, the first part of the story deals with Joseph's prison. He is, as I said, at the end of chapter 39, in a prison dungeon. Verse number 20, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. He was there. The word prison mentioned three times in just that one verse. Folks, the dream Joseph had at this point is not happening. The dream of ruling is not happening in his life. Circumstances will not work out in this case. The dream is not happening happening. The truth is there are lots of prisons. For Joseph it was a real prison. For some it it may be the prison of a career. You'd like to get out but you can't take a pay cut. You may be of an age where they aren't interested in people your age. It it could be a career. It, It could also be financial prisons. You just can't seem to get unbound. And and then it could be relationships. I've read recently of a book entitled Loving him is hurting you and what to do about it. And another book could be written the same way. Loving her is hurting you. You know, there's a country song in that. There is. Uh, It could be a prison of health. You're at a point now where you're suffering with your health and and you're not going to get over it. Uh, It could be the prison of some habits. You cry out to God often and you just want to get past them and, and there is no relief. It could be the prison of failures, of sins. You've embarrassed yourself, you've broken God's commandments, 
You feel like you're trapped and bound and there's no way you can get out. It, it could be actually a, little, a, a literal prison. I want to say to you, make sure you understand, if that's you, you're a perfect candidate for God to step in and do something neat in your life. Because even though Joseph's life was out of control and beyond his control, God intervened and still performed the vision he had for Joseph's life. The truth is, is that God never revokes his vision for your life. He still has it. He knows the plans he has for you, though you may not. He has a vision for your life. You are on this earth for a reason. You are in Christ Jesus for a reason. And God is not relinquishing that at all, though you may be in prison. Well, there is here the dungeon that Joseph is in with his prison. Then there, there are the dreams that take place. Uh, the butler or the cupbearer on one hand and the baker on another. They tell them to Joseph, the butler or cupbearer, says, I was dreaming and there were three branches that came from a vine and I was able to pick these up and squeeze them in the Pharaoh's cup. And Joseph interprets that in verse number 13. Look what he says. This is the interpretation. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. And that's precisely what happened in the text. The baker comes along and he's quite excited because Joseph has delivered a favorable interpretation to the butler. And he tells him, I was um, walking along and I had three white baskets on my head stacked on one another. There were baking goods in all of them. In the top one, some birds came and began to eat them. And Joseph interprets the dream in verse number 19. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. It's not pleasant, but you can count on Joseph to tell the truth even to his own hurt. And that's what takes place here in the text. That's how the man's dream was fulfilled. It happened just like Joseph said it. These are the dreams. So he starts in a dungeon, there's some dreams, and then there's disappointment. He tells the butler or the cupbearer, whenever you get before Pharaoh, what I want to ask you to do is please remember me. I was sold into slavery. I'm not supposed to be here. It's not right. I've got to get out. Would you please let Pharaoh know of my dream interpretation ability? Would you please put in a good word for me? And look what happens. In verse number 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph begins in prison. His dream's not happening. Activity and intensity pick up. He's a benefit and blessing. He tells the truth. God's got his hand on him. And still the dream isn't happening. For two years... The butler, the chief cupbearer, forgets and completely forgets all about Joseph. That's Joseph's prison. But then, quickly, enough to make your head spin on your neck and even spin off, there is an enormous transition that takes place in chapter 41. There are things that happen here that Joseph could not anticipate. Joseph could not expect. 
He probably never even considered these things. That anything like this in chapter 41 would happen. And by the end of the chapter, we have not Joseph's prison, but Joseph's promotion. All through chapter 41. He's promoted in the way that we read in chapter 41 and in verse 42 and 43. Let's look at the reasons for the promotion. The reasons for the promotion begin in verse number 1 and go down to verse number 32. A good way to summarize this is in chapter 41, verse 25. Read there in just a moment with me if you'll find that. But essentially what Joseph could not anticipate is that Pharaoh himself has a couple of dreams and no one in his court, no governing authority, no one in the bureaucracy can interpret it, can interpret them for him in chapter 41. There's no interpreting them at all. And then the butler remembers Joseph. He calls him in. Pharaoh gives him his dreams. He said, I imagine, um, I imagine some healthy uh, produce growing in the field and some unhealthy came along and devoured it. And then I imagine seven healthy cows being devoured by seven unhealthy scrawny cows. What in the world does this mean? The butler retrieves Joseph, and we have that beginning in verse number 25 of chapter 41. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream is repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. And the rest of the chapter and the next several chapters are occupied with Egypt's seven years of plenty and Egypt's seven years of famine and how Joseph led them to be prepared. Now Joseph, after this, without any guile, without any deception, says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I would suggest to you that you find somebody capable of getting into your agricultural department and ramping up production and organizing that to where we take the abundance and we store it away and we do that for seven years so that when the famine comes, we are ready. And Pharaoh says, you are just the man for it. Now, you might think that's unbelievable to take a jailbird and make him prime minister of Egypt, but you've never hired talent before and you've never seen it. And that's what happens here. He had an eye for talent, for ability. I think God was in control of this, even his decisions. God was steering his heart according to Proverbs 21, verse 1. And he put Joseph not, not only over the ag department in the government, he put him as second in charge of his own. Gave him his second chariot, a robe upon his shoulders, and a signet ring, and made Egypt bow before him whenever he went along. Only Pharaoh would have more authority over Egypt. 
Now, that's the reason. I, I want you to note a couple of things. One is, God fulfilled Joseph's dream after Joseph supported someone else's dream. It was in supporting someone else's dream and vision that God came through and fulfilled Joseph's dream. May I say to you, that's oftentimes the way it happens. I'll be honest with you, when I came to Beach Haven five and a half years ago, there's some things I didn't want to do that some folks spoke into my life. God put it all over my heart. We've pursued those, and those have been the most effective things that we've done. It's the Now, don't get too excited. I don't listen very often, but there were two times I did. Don't talk to my wife, please. Okay. But the truth is, the things that have worked best in my ministry, not only here but other places, I initially did not want to pursue. God spoke to my heart through someone else. They were entirely biblical. The Lord persisted on my heart. He confirmed them, and God came through. Now, don't be too impressed. I'm not a very good listener. But in these cases, God got me down on the ground and would not let me back up for air until I surrendered and did what he wanted me to do. That's what Joseph is experiencing here. Now, I want you to notice another thing. Not only did God fulfill Joseph's dream after Joseph listened and supported someone else's, but even though uh, God, God fulfilled Joseph's dream, even though the man who opened the door for Joseph was a man who failed at his job and was a jailbird, a convict. Now, if God can use a man who has failed at his job and is a convict, don't you think God could use your husband or your wife? Hey, we need to listen to each other. Couldn't God use your parents? Couldn't God use your children? Couldn't God use staff and church leaders? If God is using a convict and someone that has failed at his job, my soul, folks, the ways God communicates with us are varied and wide open. And we've got to be sensitive to lay hold of what God wants us to do when God comes through. We can't be spiritually dull. We can't be careless. We, we can't lose focus. We can't lose attention. Our all has got to be set on Him any time God speaks to us, and especially when we need to hear from Him. Now, there's some rewards to the promotion, not only reasons, but rewards. In verses 39 to 41, he has a new position. That looks like his dream in chapter 37. God said it was going to happen. It happened. He's now ruling in verses 39 to 41. He's got a new wardrobe in verse 42. Did you read that? Now, do you remember how this story began? What was Joseph's wardrobe in front of his brothers? It was that tunic, that coat of many colors that was royalty and made his good clothes. And Joseph wore his good clothes all the time out into the field. He could not work in the field because his daddy treated him like royalty and his brothers ripped it off of him. And here in verse 42, Pharaoh puts it back on. That's what God wanted for his life. In verse 43 to 44, there's a new authority 
in his life. He's no longer the youngest or second youngest son of 11 or 12 brothers. Instead, he's got authority all over Egypt. And then verse 45, he's missed his family for many years, and now he has a new family, a wife and two children. He's got a new mission, and that is essentially to save Egypt and eventually the whole world, at least that region, from famine. Then verses uh, 50 to 52, he's got a new peace which is reflected in the names of his son. One he calls uh, forgotten. He's forgotten the sorrows he's gone through. And the other one is fruitful. Now he's fruitful over a fruitful land. Uh, In verses 53 to 57, he has a new reach. Look, Look at verse 57, just how expansive this little Hebrew's reach is. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. In other words, Joseph, a witness to the greatness and glory of God who fulfills dreams, is now able to touch the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not happening when he was in prison, but it's happening because he got uh, supportive and he got uh, in a place to support someone else's dream and someone else's vision. God oftentimes fulfills our dreams after we support others. Well, here's the question. You can't very well be supportive of everybody that comes along with the dream. There are frankly some that are entirely foolish and silly and reckless and God's not in them. How do you know when you should support a dream and vision? When your husband says something, when your wife says something, when your children make some kind of recommendation. When an in-law says something, when a co-worker says something, when is it that you should embrace these things? Well, that's the significance of this, and I would say that there are three things that arise from the text. Support those first who display the hints of God's will. I've never had an experience where God opened up the heavens and showed His face and spoke audibly and said, this is what I want you to do. I've never had that. It's actually been much louder than that. To quote Adrian Rogers. God, in other words, and you'll understand what I mean, God gives hints about His will. Fellas, does your wife ever hint at things that she would like to hint? I, I know I have this one friend who was driving down a highway with his wife, and his wife asked him, is that ice cream shop open? And uh, he says, well, I, I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. And he keeps driving. And after a while, she starts weeping. And he says, what, what's wrong? She said, I wanted some ice cream. He said, well, why didn't you tell me? She said, I asked you if the ice cream shop was open. The kinds of hints that God gives are the kinds of hints He gives like someone gives us that we know real well. Fellas, may I suggest learn to pick up on hints. Learn to pick up on hints. That's oftentimes the way God communicates to us. But not not in a real mysterious way. God communicates through us through hints like the hints from someone that we know real well. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I don't mean to brag. Don't get too impressed. But this past Easter, I finally got it right. I did. All these years, my wife has been making Easter baskets for the kids, and I would walk in and notice, well, she doesn't have one, and I'd forget all about it. And she said uh, something about that or hinted something about that one time, 
And this year, I got her an Easter basket. And it was huge. It was big. It was beautiful. It was the best that you could ever see. And we took six weeks to make it. Got it right, finally. Don't be too impressed. That doesn't happen very often. But finally, I listened in a way, and uh, in the way that she was communicating. That's what happens with God's will. God communicates His will, and He hints at it. He does in verse number 5 of chapter 41. He says uh, here, uh, He slept and dreamed a second time. And Joseph would later say, the fact that it's a second time means God is confirming it. Um, he does that also in verse number uh, 32 uh, there in the text. The dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. How do I know then that God is hinting to me about His will? Several questions. One, what does the Bible say? I, I want you to do something with me. Take your index finger real quickly. Okay, Everybody with an index finger, help me out. And I want you to draw in front of you a circle. All right, let me get everybody's cooperation. Okay, what you have there is a circle and a set of boundaries, or one set of boundaries. And that represents the Scripture. Everything God wants you to do is within the boundaries of the Scripture, never outside it. Now, there are a lot of options within that. There are some things that are not optional. Giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ, following God in holiness, and a variety of other things. But there are within that an awful lot of options. Some of you, God wants you to be a doctor. Some, a lawyer. Some, He wants you to start a business. Others, He wants you to teach. And Those are all uh, very legitimate options. You need to know what it is God wants you to do. All of those fit within the boundaries of the Scripture. The Scripture is God's will. Now, when it comes to vocations, those vocations are fine. What God does not want you to do is start selling crack cocaine. That's not a legitimate option. That violates the law and endangers the lives of people, and there are a host of biblical commands that are against that. The first thing to know is what the Scripture says. And then you look for peace in your heart and life within the options within those boundaries. You look for a ruling peace in a sense that this is just what I ought to do, according to Colossians 3.16. And, and then, not only that, but you seek wise counsel. There is victory in many counselors, the Proverbs say. Proverbs 11.14, 11.15, 11.22, and 15.22 as well. And, and then um, ask God for wisdom and plead with Him for wisdom along with these others. And then look for confirmation of God making it clear. God will not lead you to be impulsive. God will give you some time to wait on Him until He confirms it. He will give you some direction a couple of times just to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And if you'll include all of these things I've mentioned in your decision-making process, it is highly likely that you're going to get it right. God will confirm His will, just like He's confirmed Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecy. Jesus Christ is confirmed by His resurrection from the dead. And that's what God has done in Him. Jesus Christ is worthy to be embraced and embraced today. So that's the first thing, hints of God's will, then a history of God's blessing. Look with me in verse number 13 of chapter 41. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to office and he hanged the other fellow. That's the cupbearer and the butler telling Pharaoh, you need to enlist Joseph in interpreting this dream because everything has happened just like he said. It has all come to pass. 
In other words, Joseph had a history of making good decisions, and those in your life with a history of making good decisions need to be people that you end up supporting. Uh, the, the third thing is uh, this as well. Uh, these people display the hand of God's Spirit. Look at verse 38 and 39. Verses 38 and 39 of chapter 41. Look what Pharaoh says, and this was so obvious to Pharaoh, he couldn't help but say, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? It was clear to the pagan Pharaoh who was attempting to rival God for supremacy of Egypt that the Holy Spirit was in Joseph and God's hand was on him by the Holy Spirit. Now look with me in Galatians chapter 5 and you're going to find someone like that. And I'm going to tell you why this is so very important. Verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against there is no such law. Whenever someone has a hold of God's will, they've got a dream or a vision you should support, whether it's your husband, wife, your children, your in-laws, whoever it may be, whoever it may be, what you want to watch is how they promote it. How do they communicate it? I get very, very suspicious when people get too aggressive with their ideas, don't you? Whenever they feel like they've got to impose them, and uh, when they scheme, when they manipulate, when they become too forceful with their ideas, that really causes me to pause because it appears it violates the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit is in control, you don't need to scheme. You don't need to impose. You don't need to manipulate. God is in control by His Spirit. He'll put that peace and assurance in your heart, and you can rest in Him to see to it that the vision is done. That's precisely what Joseph had to do himself because he was not in control of his life. And there's no way he could manipulate. There's no way he could scheme. There is no way that he could be forceful enough to free himself from prison, only God could do it. And the same is true when it comes to your vision. Support those who have the Spirit of God and show that they are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And friend, I, I just want to say, is it not obvious? Is it not obvious that the obvious major application of this is to support and get on board with the vision and dream of Jesus Christ himself? Jesus has every one of these. Jesus obviously knew God's will and he did it. And did you know, even his enemies could not legitimately accuse him of anything. He was sinless. He did the Father's will perfectly. And then, is it not obvious that Jesus has a history of God's blessing upon his life, his ministry and service? And by the way, he's still in the ministry. He didn't cease his activity when he ascended to heaven. He is here today, and he's ready to forgive and heal and strengthen and answer prayer and open doors. He's willing to make you right with God today. He has a history of God's blessing. And then he also had upon him the hand of God's Spirit, so much so that demons fled in his presence, so much so that disease fled in his presence. And He's the giver of the Holy Spirit now. 
That is Jesus Christ. And so th there is nothing in the world that is wise enough, strong enough, big enough that would serve as a legitimate reason for saying no to Jesus Christ on this day. Jesus did the will of God. And it's time for you and me to get on board with Him. Well, what do I do? We've got to change our minds, what the Bible calls repentance. And we've got to gladly receive His Word, His promise, which the Bible calls faith. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, uh, Peter said, repent. That means whatever direction you're going, whatever you're thinking change, that keeps you from Christ, change your mind about it and begin to embrace what He thinks. And, and then the, the Bible says in verse 41 of Acts 2, they gladly received His Word. Make your heart glad to trust His Word enough to receive it today. And that is that Jesus bled and died and rose again for your sins and mine. You, you need it. Things are not right between you and God, but Jesus can make them that way because He bled and rose again. And if by faith you will open your heart and receive Him, Jesus will make it all right with God. And let me say, I've been following Him a long time, and there's no one better to embrace than Jesus. John 1.12 says, To as many as received Him, gave He the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on His name. Would you do that today? Staff are going to be here. We're going to receive you, ask you to come and open your life to Christ. Maybe God's done something else in your life. He's moving you to become part of this church. Maybe, uh, maybe there's some other need. We want to invite you to come as you quickly stand, please. Let me pray for you, and then our uh, worship team's going to lead us. Father, thank you for the good news of Christ. And thank you, oh, Father. Thank you.